to become aware of God in the here and now, right here among us, right here in our bodies, right here in our communities, in, in this room, in this moment, in this breath. And so I guess I'm, I'm pushing back against that idea of that, that God is separate from us and God is far from us and leaning more into the words of Christ, which are, well, the community of heaven and the kingdom of God are here right now. And all we have to do is become conscious and awake and aware of that in order to begin living inside that community. So I don't, I don't like that, that distancing that the word worship sort of implies to me. I'm not dissing the word worship. I still think it's a valid word. I just think we need to re-understand it. Hello, and welcome to Methods, an exploration in guided prayer and meditation. My name's Jory, and today we're talking with Fran Pratt. Reverend Fran Pratt is a pastor, writer, musician, and mystic. Making meaningful and beautiful liturgy to be spoken, practiced, and sung is at the heart of her creative drive. Fran is the author of a new book of congregational litanies and regularly shares and creates modern liturgy on her website and Patreon. Her prayers are prayed in churches of various sizes and traditions across the globe. She writes, speaks, and consults on melding ancient and new liturgical streams in faith and worship. Fran currently serves as pastor of worship and liturgy at Peace of Christ Church in Round Rock, Texas where she lives with her spouse and two young daughters. All right, Fran, welcome to Methods. Hey, happy to be here. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? Um, oh, wow. <laughs> You're just <laughs> leading right with, right with the broad questions. Okay. <laughs> um, well, um, I am a seeker. I am a, a person who wakes up in the morning looking for and hoping for an experience of the divine. And I've been doing that long enough to where, and I've actually found enough and gotten enough of those experiences to where I think it's okay for me to call myself a mystic. I think that's okay. <laughs> um, at least I'm giving myself permission to embrace that identity. I think I'm also a creative. Um in terms of my work, I am a liturgist. My Instagram handle is the litanist. So I specifically write litanies, which are prayers that most of them are in that I write are intended to be used as congregational formational tools within the context of a gathering or say, uh, an intentional sacred space together. A lot of people call that worship. I'm sort of moving away from that terminology, but people use that term to, to refer to, uh, sacred and intentional gatherings. And so I write liturgy and litanies. I'm also a pastor. I'm a musician. I, uh, help pastor a church in the suburbs of Austin, Texas, a progressive leaning um, where our church is Baptist ish, but we draw from many streams and uh, yeah. So that's a lot of things. I'm also a mom and a, someone's partner. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that when I asked you who you are, you start out with the experience of, getting up in the morning and looking for an experience. Cause usually when I ask people, you know, 
to tell me about themselves or, or who they are. They start with, well, I got my degree at this university and this is my title and this is my job. And I mean, those are all things we've done, but they're not who we are. So, yeah. so I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, you said you were moving away from the terminology of worship and that just piqued my interest. What do you mean by that? And, and why are you moving away from the term worship? Well, so my official title, my official work title in the place where I'm employed, which is Peace of Christ Church, is Pastor of Worship and Liturgy. And I think when when people use that word, they use it sort of as a shorthand for, for the gathering, mm-hmm. for like, okay, well, we're going to meet together and we're going to do some stuff. And we're, you know, in some traditions, it's we're going to do some liturgy together. And then in other traditions, in the majority of of the tradition that I have come out of, it was, okay, well, we're going to, you know, sing five rock songs and then listen to a sermon, and that's worship. And, and I, guess, I guess the idea has come, I, I think it's been skewed, because here we are, we're, we're singing all this uh, language to God or about God that's, you know, magnify and praise and extol. And I do think that that has its place. I do think it has its place for us to put ourselves in relationship to the divine and for there to be a sense of awe and a sense of wonder and a sense of um, what Anne Lamott calls wow, a -hmm. sense of wow. (laughs) Um, And so I think that is, that's, that's appropriate and valid when we, when we're relating to the divine. But I think so much of it has turned into us trying to stroke, like imagining that God has an ego that needs stroking. Mm-hmm. And I'm just moving away from that idea. In my, in my experience with the divine, in my experience of spirituality and, and the way that I am going about doing and practicing spirituality and practicing, I'll even use the word religion, like doing religion, I just... I don't think God has an ego that we that God needs for us to stroke, mm-hmm, so yeah. that God can feel good about God's self. Yeah, like worship um, is more for us really than it is for God. Yeah, yeah. So I I'm moving toward a framing of the concept of worship or or the concept of devotion as attention. Mm-hmm. as paying attention, as um, becoming conscious of. Yeah. So, God, I don't think that God needs me to um, sing to God about how awesome and amazing God is, but I do think it's very beneficial for me to become conscious mm-hmm. of God. And so, I just am framing worship more in terms of attention. And, you know, um the poet Mary Oliver, she said in one of her poems that attention, I believe I'm quoting it correctly, attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm-hmm. And then Simone Weil uh, has that idea in some of her writings also. And she's, she talks about attention being sort of the baseline or the, the, the beginning of love. Yeah. And if I, it comes to my mind like this, like, like if we take love down to its tiniest pixels, 
if we take love into its pixelated form, my guess is, my best guess so far, is that that is attention. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a big answer to a, yeah. <laughs> to a question. But I have a lot of intention around that statement of I am moving away from the using the word worship, mostly because I think it's a misunderstood word. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I really like that. It, it reminds me of um, in the Sufi tradition where they talk about remembering God. And even in, in the, the Greek Orthodox Church, they talk about um, remembering God and just being in that center of awareness and attention, which also has ties to um, mindfulness. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just, it's so much more expansive and relevant and applicable in a lot of ways than, you know, traditional extolling worship. I, I think that that has a place um, in some people's paths, but I think largely just paying yeah. attention. If you can't pay attention, then I'm not sure how you can properly worship. Well, and, and here's the other th- issue that I have with the word. And, and also with the way that we, that, the way that we practice worship particularly in church spaces, because that's kind of where I, that, that's the circle in which I, I run, and that's the ground of, that I sprung out of, um, is that there's this assumption that, um, that God is far from us. So when we say, you know, we can say with the psalmist, you know, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name for it together or forever, whatever the, the quote is. Um, well, it sets God so far away from us. Mm-hmm. And I consider my job to be more of pointing out uh, and helping people to become aware of God in the here and now, right here among us, right here in our bodies, right here in our communities, in, mm-hmm. in this room, in this moment, in this breath. And so I guess I, I'm pushing back against that idea of that, that, God is separate from us and God is far from us and leaning more into the words of Christ, which are, well, the community of heaven and the kingdom of God are here right now. And all we have to do is become conscious and awake and aware of that in order to begin living inside that community. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I don't I don't like that that distancing that the word worship sort of implies to me. I'm not dissing the word worship. I still think it's a valid word. I just think we need to re-understand it. Yeah, and a lot of times I hear in various church settings like um, this beckoning for for God to, to come and to fill the space and to... Uh, to arrive and to, you know, like he's, he's somewhere else and he's mm-hmm. traveling and, mm-hmm. you know, if he catches his train on time, he'll be here. And it just, or strikes, if we do the right thing, or if we if do, we the, do right the right thing, ritual or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which God is, might deign to come among us. Yeah. Which it, it's always struck me kind of weird because I, I like the, the Thomas Keating quote, God is, is always present and what's absent is awareness. Um, that we just need to become mm-hmm. aware of um, the presence of God. But I mean, I think it, you could also look at it as uh, like a colloquialism too. Like we know that the sun doesn't actually rise. We know that 
the earth spins on its axis and that makes it appear as if the sun is rising. But we still say the sun rises because that's just a facet of our language. But I think largely a lot of people do think that, you know, have that conception of God is somewhere else and we need to bring him in to our space, which is the opposite of the case. I think God is continually drawing us into uh, herself. Yeah, and and also that we are springing out of God at every moment. We're sprung out of God's imagination. And so, but I'm like you, I'm, I'm, Mm. I'm sort of okay with using those colloquialisms as long as we do have the understanding of what the actual truth is and that the actual truth is is allowed to permeate to permeate our practice. Mhm. Well, we got a lot of uh a lot of material off just that because that wasn't even like part of anything I wanted to ask you, but <laughs> Hey, lucky. <laughs> yeah. So, you write litanies and You've mentioned a couple uh, poets already. What is it about the the written or the spoken word that you find yourself drawn to? Oh, well, I mean, I've always been a writer since I was a kid. From my from my earliest days, books were my best friends. I was a shy and awkward kid, and books were the way that I cured my own boredom and escaped reality. And so words could take me to a new, a a new place and a new way of being. Mm. And I'm still so captivated by that idea of how we, um, well, well, how God seems to have shared some of God's power of speaking and speaking things into being. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we take if we take ourselves back to the Christian scripture in the first chapter of the book of John, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word went out and did all these other things. And I just am so captivated by the idea that that power or that ability is accessible to us and shared with us that we can help by means of language and by means of this very physical, this very, very um, gritty human ability to like pass air through vocal cords to make sound and vibration, that we can do something mystical like speak a new world into being. Mm. And so I'm just... I. I love that idea, and I love the idea of us together entering into prayer and into the practice of together speaking a new world into being and speaking what is true and also like acknowledging what needs work, what needs to be changed. And so... Uh, I, I'm smiling as I say it because I, it is so <laughs> mystical to me, but also just so nitty gritty human to speak, to speak aloud and f- for us to have language. And it's, all, I mean, it's so, it's so, um, it's so imprecise because we can never, you know, the word that re- represents the thing isn't the thing. 
Mm-hmm. We yeah. can only speak around the thing. We can only dance circles around, you know, the divine or the kingdom of God. Like we can't, we're not going to capture it with words, but we, but I'm still just dedicated to trying. I just still want to use all the best words that I can find to say it out loud together. Yeah. Because so. no, nothing we ever say is going to be exactly it, but I, I also like how, uh, to quote Father Rohr again, he says, God is not uh, just unknowable, but infinitely knowable. So there's so many ways that we can talk around our experience and to share in that process of becoming with other people by hearing them speak about their experience and and to create new experiences together. Yeah, I'm, I started off as a musician and... And I think there's, I, I mean, music is really powerful for human, for the human brain and psyche. And I think it, there's, there's very spiritual stuff that can happen in the context of music. You know, it, it does something different to our brains and our souls than words only spoken do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I've just, I mean, I still am a musician. I still lead musical worship every Sunday. But I guess I, I, I'm pulling that out into its, its parts and mm-hmm. just dialing down into the words really just gets me going. So, yeah, I'm, I started out writing ly- song lyrics, you know. So is that what led you to start writing litanies? Well, no, um, I, I didn't even know what a litany was for most of my coming up years. Um, I grew up in the SBC left the SBC couldn't couldn't reconcile its theology with my own experience anymore in about I guess it was about 2003 that maybe two that I <laughs> I left with my hair on fire um <laughs> and moved away um got married to my spouse moved away out of grew I grew up in the Bible Belt South um, so in a very conservative, I would even say fundamentalist culture, mm-hmm. moved away, got into a more progressive, all a more progressive denominational setting. And that was where I became a worship leader. The first time in my life that anyone saw me as a young woman and said, you can do something here. You can do something, you have spiritual authority, and you can you can contribute to the life of the church. And that was the first time that it ever even occurred to me. No one ever said that to me before I was in this context. So I became a worship leader for many years, several years, yeah, not many, but several. And um, then my spouse and I had to leave that town. We lived in Iowa City, Iowa, and we had to leave, basically due to just logistical job issues. We just had to go. And it crushed me because for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a calling. I had a ministry. I was a worship pastor. I was writing songs that were being sung by my congregation. I had close community. I had um, emotionally healthy community. So for the first time in my life, I had all these things that I had never had before. And then suddenly poof, they're gone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Suddenly I'm, I'm just adrift. And I, I thought at the time I thought, I thought I was done. I thought I was done with music. I thought I was done with pastoring. I thought it was over. And, um, about that time. So this was a, a, a couple year period of deep sadness for that loss. Not only the loss of friends and community, but also this loss of ministering calling. And looking back, I think I probably would have been a person who would have thought that I had a ministerial or pastoral or um, just some sort of spiritual calling. But I didn't grow up in any sort of soil that told me I could even imagine that. Mm -hmm. So um, I find myself in about 2010 in San Francisco, California at City Church of San Francisco. And for the first time in my life, I am in a liturgical setting. I don't know how I've gotten there. It's the oddest thing to me. I don't know what to do with myself. I was also at the time pregnant with my first daughter and uh, had just moved there, didn't have any friends, didn't have a job because I was just about to have a baby. And here I am in, for the first time in my, in my life in a liturgical setting, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm lonely. And someone hands me a piece of paper that has beautiful liturgy on, on it that is thoughtful and intentional and formational, and it is the first time I've ever seen such a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was so captivated. And I mean, it took, a, it took a while for me to become captivated by it. But at the moment that I received that, I was just so relieved that, oh, here's a prayer that I can pray that I don't have to think up. Because mm-hmm. I don't have a prayer to pray from within myself, and I'm too sad, and I can't I really can't stand any scripture except for like Lamentations and Job. <laughs> and, and here, someone hands me this beautiful formational um, nourishment that kept my ship from sinking entirely in that mm-hmm. season. So I began to embrace liturgical faith in this strange season that I was in. And I bought a book of common prayer and I started praying uh, prayers out of the book of common prayer. And I started reading mystics like Teresa of Avila and so on and so forth. And then I find myself a few years later, once again, in a more familiar context of uh, an evangelical sort of quasi non-denominational non-denominational church and I'm leading worship again and I'm leading my you know three fast songs and two slow songs and then <laughs> I'm realizing that it's not enough for me anymore because the liturgy was nourishing me in such a deep way that I would just come home and become a, a contemplative on my own yeah so I was doing one thing in a congregational context and it an entire other thing at home in my own spiritual practice. And about that time, the war in Syria was really picking up speed. And I wanted my faith community to be able to engage with that crisis. And some other things were happening at the time. I think there were some, you know, things that happened, hurricanes and tragedies and shootings and things that are fairly commonplace these days. Unfortunately, that's not what we want, but I wanted us, I had a desire for us to be awake to those things and to not have this insular consciousness that was like, oh, well, you know, 
God is in control. I wanted us to engage more deeply and I couldn't find anything on the internet or really in the book of common prayer that would be appropriate for the particular congregation that I was in, which was not liturgical at all. They wouldn't, they don't, they're like a litany. What is that? We don't know, even know what that is. <laughs> and that would appeal to this wide variety of people. Some of whom are um, non native English speakers, you know, a mix of sort of blue collar working folks and then some more, you know, I guess, white-collar, more intellectually-minded folks. But there's this mix, and I couldn't find anything that everybody that I thought, well, everybody can say this authentically, and everybody can engage with it. So I looked and looked and looked and became so frustrated that I was like, well, screw it. I guess I'm just going to have to write the dang thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wrote my first litanies in a sort of exasperated way. <laughs> like, shoot, I don't want to have to spend all my time doing this, but I'm going to do it because I think it's important. But then the art form caught me and I started sharing them a little bit more widely and then gradually more widely. And then uh, my spouse is a designer and he gifted me a website for Christmas in 2015. Oh. So that was the start of my website. And that became, then that's when I really hunkered down and started writing a catalog. Yeah. So you've got a story. ton of material. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was perusing your website earlier and wow, it's just massive. The amount of, you know, material that you've collected over, over how long you've been doing it. I, I love the fact that you couldn't find anything and so you were like, oh, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah. And it was the best gift, you know, that the spirit could have given me because turns out I, I'm, I am bent for it. I'm a contemplative in my heart and a poet in my heart and a writer in my heart. So mm -hmm. it sort of hits all the chimes of what makes me tick. I didn't mean to. I stumbled into it. And here I am several years later, and I've written literally hundreds of litanies. Yeah, I, I picked up your book, and the intro to your book, I, I just want to read a passage that stuck out to me. Sure. You say, um, prayer is more about presence and less about words, less about requests and more about formation. But having a prayer to pray out loud together, like having a song to sing together, can usher us into that presence and give us sustenance for the journey into silence. I love, I love that phrase, sustenance for the journey into silence. Mm -hmm. And silence is God's first language. And most of the time it's mine as well. I usually only speak when spoken to. Silence is the language of God and all else is poor translation. Yeah. So if, if I'm not being silent, which I usually am, I do appreciate having something to go off of to let my rational discursive mind kind of slow and and let the the practice take over so it seems like there's kind of like a connection between the provision of words to quiet our soul and and the practice of of silence itself yeah i i think there for sure is and and the best part about a litany in my opinion is the pause between the lines Mm -hmm. When you just stop, 
and you perhaps you soak in what was just said before, before, you know, it's the Selah in between the lines because of what the words are able to provoke in us and help mm-hmm. us dig up out of ourselves. Yeah. So it provides this shared life together, this humility at not having to create our own individual prayers we can collect around these words, which helps us be vulnerable with each other and be honest and gives us the ability to lament the things um, in our society that I think largely in the church, we have this tendency to spiritually bypass and just say, like you said, like, oh, God's, God's got it under control, you know, it's fine. Um, but we've lost that ability to lament, like nobody sings, you know, dirges anymore. Um, well, and... I do at Peace of Christ Church, but... <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not dirges necessarily, but for sure laments. And you, you've hit on a thing that I really push back against. I, I push back against lopsided uh, formational gatherings. Gatherings that only focus on praise, joy, um, gratitude, and all those things are super important. Like I, I, I say a lot that gratitude is spirituality 101. You want to learn mm-hmm. how to be a spiritual person? Well, start paying attention and finding things to be grat- grateful for. But I really push back on this, this, on that, on the lopsidedness of it, where we don't, we don't know how to engage with lament or grief or suffering together. Yeah. And I really have a heart for providing at least, I mean, I can't do your work for you. You that I can't do your lament or your grief, but I am, would love to give you a starting point so that you and your community can collectively enter in, have a point of entry into a moment of confession or repentance or lament or shared grief and things yeah. that we would, you know, consider negative and I, I think that's a dualistic judgment I'm using air quotes when I say negative or bad um, because we the truth is we need lament and this is especially where we are in this country right now we gotta have our eyes open to all the injustice that's happening and all the chaos and if we spend our times asleep then the you know our communities of faith aren't going to serve their purpose in the world. Yeah, it's going to kind of provide a, a facade over over the issues if we don't actually bring them into the light and, and look at them and examine them and, and deal with them. And you wrote a, a litany the other day for a Tatiana Jefferson that was so powerful. Um, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, just a little background, Tatiana Jefferson was murdered in her home. Uh, she, it was a terrible, terrible thing to happen. Uh, she is a black woman and she was killed by a white police officer in her home, shot through a window. Um, and this happened a, a few hours away from me in Fort Worth, Texas. I live in the Austin area. And so it was a thing that I couldn't shake and still can't shake. But here is 
litany for Atatiana Jefferson, which I hope will help people begin to become awake to this problem of injustice. Oh, before I begin, most of my litanies are call and response. They're intended for a leader to say one line and then the congregation to respond with with the next and for there to be, it's like tossing a ball back and forth. Obviously, I'm not going to do that right now. But this is a a call and response litany originally. God, we have lost another precious human being to senseless violence and unjust brutality. Her name is Atatiana Jefferson, and she was and is beloved by many. Oh God, we cry out for an end to these seemingly endless and unnatural deaths, for an end to brutal policing and corrupt institutions, for an end to violence against black and brown people, for an end to white supremacy and oppression. We ask for love to come and cover this multitude of sins. We ask for supernatural peace to overtake this chaos. We ask for human life to be regarded as sacred by all people, regardless of origin, regardless of race or ethnicity, regardless of privilege, regardless of any external signifier, regardless of circumstance. We know that the best resistor of empire is Christ himself. And the best lover of humanity is Christ himself. So we willingly undergo the ego transformation required to follow Christ's path and live in his way of radical, unconditional love and powerful humility. We honor all beings as divine creations reflecting the image of their creator. And we lament and grieve the mistreatment and loss of any precious person. We lament and grieve the state of injustice in which we live and our complicity with evil power structures. We pray for Atatiana's family and friends and for all those who now feel unsafe to exist in this world. We pray for the justice of heaven to prevail on this earth and for healing of every hurt and restoration of every broken thing. Amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that. And I know many churches would benefit from uniting around those words and solidarity and and addressing the things that a lot of times we ignore. Yeah. Um, I th- in a lot of circles I frequent, it can become really detached and spiritual, airy-fairy, mm-hmm. uh, only focusing on the esoteric or the mystical. And then some other circles I frequent um, can become overly attached to the theological and philosophical aspects of faith. But I think the the true aspect of faith comes with a synthesis of both of those to the service of love and of lived relationship with yourself and the rest of the world. And I think litanies can help us bridge that gap. Yeah, I, I talk about it a lot in terms of doing, thinking, feeling. 
And in most of the contexts that, that we ever find ourselves in, those contexts will be good at, at, at most two of those. Like, one church I went to is good at doing and good at feeling, not so good at thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that the community that I'm in now is predisposed toward thinking and doing and less towards feeling. So I, I just think a lot in terms of finding balance between uh, among those three those three aspects of our of our true self. That how are we are are we able to engage with all three of those of those practices? And if we're out of, if we're lopsided on one, then we're leaving something out that's important. Yeah, it's a balancing act. Yeah, you're going to be leading us in. Uh, in a method that you take joy in, which is Lectio Divina, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's do a Lectio. Um, so in terms of spiritual practice, so which I'm really big on, and I really pre- appreciate your podcast for its helpfulness in bringing folks into an experience of meditation. So thank you for that work that you do. I have also benefited from it, and I enjoy guided meditations, and I think they're a really helpful way, especially to get started yeah, or, or to pick back up where you might have left off. Um, so my two main spiritual practices that I do most often and that have also been most transformative for me are meditation— as in silent silence, sitting in stillness and in silence. And the other is a practice that I picked up for the purpose of writing better liturgy, which is Lectio Divina. And my, my practice is, is on a weekly basis, I sit with lectionary passages for the week. I sit with whatever the, whatever the Revised Common Lectionary says, okay, here are the passages for the week. I sit with those and attempt to bring an open mind to them and a receptive heart and, and non-judgment and allow the text to just be done unto me, as Father Roar says, that God must be done unto us. And... Uh, not not receive the te- the text with any you know predetermined intention or agenda. And boy, has that been transformative for me. I, I couldn't even I, I I have trouble articulating even what I think that's done in my own soul, particularly in terms of just learning my own faith better, like mm-hmm. hearing the words of the Christ who I follow. In a, in a fresher way. So I have a great love for Lectio Divina, although I myself practice it in a very informal way that often involves, oh, well, I guess I'll, I'll read this or I'll read this half now and then I'll stare at the ceiling for a while or I'll go for a walk or I'll go fold some, fold some laundry or empty the dishwasher um, or check emails or whatever and let it and put it on the back burner of my mind and let that pot simmer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it looks like that, and sometimes it's not that way at all. Sometimes I read the the thing in its entirety and immediately set to work. But often it's much more slow and contemplative way 
of approaching Electio. When I bring Electio to a group, obviously it's more formal and um, I bring more instruction, I guess, alongside of it. So yeah, let's do Electio. I love that. It's because it's 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 lived and it's real and that's that's real life and it doesn't always have to be formulaic, which is really what I try to do with this podcast is give people the the materials to build their own practice, not that they would have to go back and listen to these a number of times, you know, they can if they want, but I'd really like for people to get the um, the tools that they need to take these practices into their own life in between, you know, emptying the dishwasher and doing the laundry and going to work and driving to pick up mm-hmm. the kids and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Cause that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, so Fran, I could talk to you forever, but <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. So please tell everyone where they can go to engage with your beautiful work. Oh yeah. So I've moved a lot of my, well, the majority of my weekly work is available on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fran Pratt. Um, so my elevator spiel is basically for the price of a cup of a, of diner coffee every month. You can get access to all the litanies that I write in any given month. Um, so that would be place number one. I have I have a large catalog of litanies that are available free to anyone that are on my website, which is franpratt.com, and I have a book that is available on Amazon. It is called. Call and Response, Litanies for Congregational Prayer, and you can pick up a copy on Amazon. Awesome. I did pick up that book. It's a great book. I highly recommend it to everyone. Thank you. And I also just became a patron, so there we go. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again, Fran. All right, everyone, please click on the next episode to be led through a Lectio Divina with Fran Pratt.